I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. My guest today, once again, Professor John Schaff, uh, Professor of Political Science at Northern State University. Professor Schaff specializes in the study of American political thought and institutions. He's published on the presidency and political thought of Abraham Lincoln, politics and literature and politics and popular culture. Uh, one of his recent writings, Abraham Lincoln's Statesmanship and the Limits of Liberal Democracy. And he publishes uh, regularly in a variety of journals, including online at the Public Discourse and Front Porch Republic. Professor Schaff, welcome back to the program. Good to be here, Chris. Well, and we're gonna talk about some some kind of, maybe we could say even sensitive things today. We're gonna lead off. We want, we've want we been wanting for some time to just talk about maybe what we can expect with the next presidency, but we're also gonna talk just a little bit about um, what happened in our nation's capital uh, this, this last week. You know, and I just wanna acknowledge for our listeners right up front that this is, um, this is really a kind of a heart-wrenching topic. We could say it's sensitive. It's, it's maybe hard to talk about in some ways, especially on a, um, a show that is like a faith and politics show. You know, we're trying to talk about principles, but as we said last year, when we talked about the the impeachment uh, proceedings is like, even if there are hard things, we don't necessarily want to shy away from them on the show. We're just going to do our very, very best to talk about them with um, some dish, dispassioned uh, analysis, kind of just a clear-eyed view of of what's, what's happened, but also just bring in some of those principles of, principles of the faith that, um, that really help us just make sense of the world we live in and help us live and act well, which is ultimately the purpose of this show, to help us just think well so we can act, act rightly. So with, I guess, that little um, um, introduction, Professor Schaff, you know, just seeing some of the images that, that came out of our nation's uh, capital this last week on, on January 6th, um, you know, they're just hard to, hard to watch. Any, you know, what, what did you think or feel when you first saw some of these images and, and were uh, reading about what was occurring? Oh, it's funny, when, when the event was going down, I was in an automobile between Minneapolis and my home in Aberdeen, and my wife was telling me about it, and so I couldn't see anything. And my reaction was something like, oh, surely this is an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. Um, it can't really be happening like that, because I, I was I was driving. I couldn't see. It wasn't I wasn't really paying attention. It had a room or a car full of screaming kids, uh, so it wasn't. Uh, I I had my own riot on my hands. I had to deal with. Um, but uh, then once I got you know got home and really the next it wasn't until the next day that I started uh, you know, seeing any any of it. And then I, I I I watched at least clips and look at some of the transcript of the the speech that the president gave uh, early that morning. And it is sort of uh, kind of hard to believe that this sort of thing happens in our republic. Mm. And uh, one of my first reactions, like, I can't believe how easy it was uh, to, to storm the U.S. Capitol. How could security possibly uh, be the slacks? And we, we have some answers on that uh, by, by this point. It was not entirely by the, by the choice of the Capitol Police. They had, uh, clearly, they had asked for help and did not get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, from uh, from the district and uh, from other uh, federal law enforcement, but I, 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 it's certainly it's disheartening that you know, we've talked before. Uh, I think one of our first chats was about polarization, 
mm-hmm. and how to over it might have been you know, aligned with that that impeachment uh, talk of how do we overcome polarization and um, this sort of seems like uh, the final outcome of uh, at least four years, but I think really longer than that uh, polarization uh, in the public where we have been encouraged by multiple opinion leaders, including political, to look at the other side as uh, not our fellow citizens, but as the enemy. Uh, and there's uh, sort of, you know, uh, t- a take no prisoners uh, view of things. And I think, you know, sadly, the president uh, encouraged people uh, in this vein to the point where uh, I don't want to talk about legal levels of incitement because you know, incitement to violence is, you know, in the law is, is a technical term. And I'm, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to speak in technical terms. I think in layman's terms, I think in essence, you saw the president of the United States inciting people uh, to violence and that to say the least is uh, unfortunate. And, uh, and even sadly in response to that, you know, what, what, what could happen in a situation like this is it could be an excuse for us to come together and unite amongst, you know, a mm-hmm. kind of uh, around common ideals that sort of, uh, you, know, you see this sometimes in families, marriages, kids, where you know something goes a little bit too far, and you get mad at each other, and you have a fight, and then it's time to step back and unite around what you have uh, in common. Um, uh, I don't, I don't see that happening. <laughs> uh, sadly, if anything, hmm. uh, I saw Mr. Biden the other day compare uh, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, the senators, to uh, Joseph Goebbels making the uh, Nazi analogy, which I am. I am not uh, fond of what Senators Cruz and Hawley did, which I think is unfortunate. I actually have a lot of respect uh, for Senator Hawley, which I may have lost some of that uh, over the last week, but I, I think he was really up to some good things. Uh, but no, I think I think both those senators made big mistakes, but I think comparing them to Nazi propaganda ministers uh, by the president-elect might have been uh, a bit extreme uh, and not really helpful uh, as we try to try to come together. And so y- you hope out of these things, there can be some appeal to unity, though I'm afraid that the opposite is happening, that this is the other side uh, is looking for reasons to be vindictive. Um, and they see uh, one side, the Republican side, generally speaking, I'm going to speak in generalizations there, yeah. some notable exceptions, but went too far, at least a lot of them went too, went too far uh, and made, I think, very imprudent uh, statements and actions. Uh, and it seems like the other side is is looking at that as an excuse to uh, use it as a bludgeon. Well, and, and, one th- and I think that's unfortunate. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say one thing that I was just thinking about is I was sort of witnessing all these really horrible things. You know, p- people that are unhappy about something, which is, I mean, that's part of our constitutional we're protected that we can go out and, and share our grievances with the government. We can, we can protest, we can um, form associations, we can do all sorts of things. And we've been seeing that in many different ways. And that's kind of a perennial tradition of Americans, but for that to tip into violence was just really, really hard, especially in this great symbol um, of, of our nation. One of the things I was thinking about though, as I was kind of watching this was, I was just kind of filled with gratitude to at South for South Dakota. You know, I wake up, every morning and um, I, live, uh, I live on a nice 
a nice street in the middle of Sioux Falls and, and our city government is functioning and I'm able to, you know, drink my coffee and, and play with my kids. And it's some of this, not to dismiss it all as, oh, distant and out there, therefore it doesn't matter, but also, oh, I can be grateful for the things that I do have. Um, likewise, kind of visiting with a state legislator last week too, just about civility and um, and just kind of gratitude for some of our traditions of civility in South Dakota, which some might say, well, that's not fair. We're really just one party rule, which is not not really true. There are there are a couple of parties, and even within the dominant party, there's a lot of diversity, and just uh, traditions of good manners um, mm-hmm. and respect for 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 your fellow citizens are things that I'm just so proud to be able to witness to here in South Dakota that, that we live so well. So. Well, one of the things, uh, a couple of things that you make me think of one is when you're talking about, you know, what brings people to the point where they, uh, where they resort to violence. Uh, one, you know, the very first conversation we had, or we ever had was about my book, about the Lincoln book. And one thing that Lincoln had tells us, and this isn't rocket science, it's political science, but, uh, is that violence begets violence, that once you, once you get into the habit of resorting to violence for political gain, it, you know, lawlessness breeds lawlessness. That's the, the lesson from Lincoln's Lyceum speech of the 1830s. Yes. Uh, and we saw a lot of lawlessness this summer, and I'm not trying to equate anything or, you know, I'm not trying to make a, uh, an assessment. I'm really just kind of making an observation that I do think things are tied together uh, in that once people see that you can be lawless and there doesn't seem to be any punishment for it or the punishment seems to be lax, that begets more lawlessness. And then what what is going on in people's broken souls that they think that they're so desperate that they think that they need to resort to violence, that's something broken within themselves. And then we, if, if we're reflective enough, we think, okay, what is there within our system? What mm-hmm. What are the injustices? That we're, that we're not addressing, not that violence is the appropriate response to that. Even you know, in this particular case, I do think there are legitimate grievances about the election, only to the extent that I think you know, in a pandemic election, um, we sort of, we, we made adjustments to our electoral system that were a bit slapdash, a bit you know, after the fact, and this is not a good way to run an election, though I think it was probably an inevitable and no way to get around it in the pandemic way to run an election. But there are legitimate grievances or even no, the long-term grievances of those who are the most vocal supporters of, of President Trump. I think there are real grievances uh, behind that, uh, which I think uh, to his detriment, I think the president exploits um, in a demagogic way for his own, for his own gain. Um, and the second thing you, you, made, you made me think of, you, you mentioned the word civility, and obviously the root of civility is, you know, is civitas, is we yes. have to treat each other like we're fellow citizens. And so, so much, I think, of what we have to do as citizens is, um, is simply to, to look at people with whom we disagree. And one of the things we, I think why you might see a little bit of that in South Dakota is South Dakota is so personal mm. that, that the, the people with whom I disagree are not abstract to me, uh, yes. and that they're they're real people. Yes. Uh, and it's 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 a lot harder to insult someone to their face, uh, yeah. to insult a real person. You know, you know, the word persona means mask; it means face. And so, to yes. actually personalize somebody, uh, it's a lot harder to insult them or to think ill of them when you have to actually live with them 
and build up these competencies of civic life uh, that we have to do on a day-to-day basis. And one of the things that makes South Dakota strong is that there's a strong civic tradition uh, in our state that breeds civility. And that, sadly, for all sorts of reasons that are beyond the ken of this uh, discussion, has broken down a lot in Washington, D.C., and it's 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 a major task, I think, to hold those. But again, that's that's a that's a whole nother yeah. discussion. Yeah, South Dakota. I've I've always said that um, our our legislators are nice to one another because their grandparents went to school with so and so's cousin. You know, it's yeah. like there's yeah, there's just there. It's much more personal. Yep. Well, well put. Well, maybe maybe just to transition a little bit and, and maybe we'll have occasion to kind of come back to this topic in future episodes, but we want to give some time today to just kind of thinking through a little bit um, and, and sharing some information with our lis- listeners about our incoming uh, president, uh, President-elect Joe, Joe Biden. He's been mm-hmm. in politics for a long, long time. So for that reason, there's a lot that's, that's known about him just based on the length yeah. of his public life. But one of the things that's kind of new that's coming out um, day by day, week by week, is the makeup of the team that he's calling upon to assist him with uh, both cabinet positions and other really key positions um, to to our nation. So, what do we what do we know in that regard at this point, Professor? Well, one of the things I think people should look at, and I think we may have talked about this before um, in a previous discussion, is you know I've I always advise people when when there's a new president to come in, the 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 temptation is to look at cabinet level picks, uh, but that's not really where the, the, the power's at. It doesn't mean nothing, if you excuse the double negative, uh, but, it, but the, the real heart of an administration is, is at lower levels in White House staff. Now, Gonda, as we've seen some of these top level appointments come down or nominations, I suppose, or they'll become nominations when, when Joe Biden is officially president. To me, it looks like kind of a throwback to kind of old school um, kind of neoliberal corporatist, um, kind of good old boy, those, not all of them are boys, uh, good old boy uh, uh, politics. It is kind of, there's a lot of kind of Democratic Party retreads and people who are very invested in sort of the, I'm going to call it kind of the, 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 the corporate Democratic Party, kind of the Democratic Party machine. In that sense, uh, you can make complaints about that, but it's, but the, the, but it's, it's not, uh, with maybe a couple exceptions, it's not really radical. Mm. Um, on the other hand, I, I guess the, the, the things I look at, part of it is my own bias being in education, as uh, I always look at the Office of Civil Rights and the Department of Education, and also look at lower level uh, appointees or nominees in the Department of Justice. And that's where I think uh, from the point of view of the church and the faith, that's where we're most likely uh, to see action as well as maybe lower level people on things like uh, health and human services, where uh, a lot of conscious things, uh, conscience things are, are, are going to be implicated um, uh, to say, you know, you look at things like, you know, why are the little sisters, little sisters of the poor constantly in front of federal courts? Well, it's because of uh, interpretations of the Affordable Care Act by the Department of Health and Human Services. Yeah. Those now, not all those have been filled. In fact, I was looking today trying to figure out who is going to fill the position of Office of Civil Rights in the Department of Education, mm. and I can't find anything. That doesn't mean it hasn't happened. It just means in about you know ten minutes of digging, I couldn't I couldn't find it yeah. uh, readily. 
but there have been some lower level people in the Department of Justice who are, in fact, the head of the Office of Civil Rights in the Department of Justice, whose name, uh, sadly now name is escaping me. Um, but I did look this up. And these are people who I think are probably less friendly to religious liberty. Mm. Certainly, I don't think the, uh, uh, I almost said Obama, the Biden administration is going to be that friendly uh, on the life issue. We can probably expect within the first 24 hours a series of executive orders um, promoting abortion, spending on abortion, both here domestically and, and, and worldwide. And so that's what I think people should look at. And, and that, But what it does, it takes a little bit of digging because the splashy appointments are things like the Secretary of State and yeah. the Secretary of Defense. And even our well, the, the nomination of Merrick Garland as Attorney General, I think all things being equal is probably about as good as we could expect from the point of view of the church from a Biden administration. Yeah. Uh, but it's those lower level people that you got to keep an eye on and whether Merrick Garland is going to even bother uh, to rein those people in or just let them run wild with interpretations of, of law that are not going to be as friendly uh, to the church and religious liberty. Well, and just to explain too, for, for listeners who maybe it, it you know, this, what are these words and these, the office of civil rights, what is that? So each federal agency will have, or almost all of them will have what is called an office of civil rights that, that one could make a, a complaint to if one feels that, that one's uh, civil rights have been violated by that agency. They're sort of in charge of in, in enforcing our constitutional protections vis-a-vis uh, -vis the actions of that agency. One of the reasons that's important is because um, in President Obama's tenure, he was articulating for us people of, of faith, kind of a, what, what I think his term was a right to worship was the, mm -hmm. was the phrase that was being used um, in a way that was sort of a very narrow view of our religious yeah. rights. You know, your worship in church on Sunday, that's where your rights are. Yeah. And of course, yeah. you know, we know both um, according to our rights as they're given by God, but also as they're uh, recognized in the constitution, you know, yeah. our religious rights are, are not simply private rights that we exercise in a closed building on a Sunday, or whatever our Sabbath is, but they're, yeah. they're, it motivates us all the time. So that's why these, some of these appointments uh, would be important. Um, I'll just throw out there too. I was on a call earlier today with um, some Catholic education policy leaders and kind of their initial uh, look at some of these lower level appointments is they're, they're starting to see some of the um, President Obama's retreads, as, as you put it, kind of filtering back into some of these uh, lower level appointment positions in the Department of yeah. Education. Um, yeah, and, and so, so people understand is that so much of what I think people know some of this, uh, that so much of what the federal government does, things that have, um, if you will, uh, uh, quasi legislative authority have, have a quasi legislative impact is that is that so much of what influences our lives like legislation is actually interpretations of legislation that are done by bureaucracies, including, you know, you would think again, and I'm in education, especially higher education. So the things that really impact my life are things. Why do we have a Title IX coordinator at my at my university? Why do we have all we have all sorts of regulations put on us? Things things like um, uh, letters from the Department of Education Office of Civil uh, Rights on transgendered rights, things on uh, sexual assault on campus. And these are defined for us, not through legislation, but through kind of lower level bureaucrats interpreting federal law. Uh, and 
So a lot of what what uh, kind of influences how we live, and a lot of you know, in the Obama administration, the thing administration, the things that were kind of assaults on religious liberty, came not from legislation, but from uh, bureaucrats interpreting federal law. And what I'm saying is that usually isn't at the level of the Secretary of Education or the Secretary of Health and Human Services. It's someone at a lower level. Obviously, the Secretary is is not opposing that. Yeah. Um, but those decisions are made by, by lower level people. And that's really where a lot of the, the power is. You know, and that's one of the things that... Uh, uh, Donald Trump figured out as president, he, you know, his, one of his frustrations, this case, I think a reasonable frustration, he's used to being CEO of Trump Industries. When you want something done, the CEO says, do this, and it gets done. And not realizing as president, there's a whole bureaucracy there that you have to work through. And a lot of it's because of administrative procedure laws. You can't just change things. Uh, and it's very difficult, and there's a lot of power in lower-level bureaucrats. Sometimes even bureaucrats who are not answerable to the president can have an awful lot of uh, power over your life. But even those who are answerable to the president, these are oftentimes people who don't rise to the level of you know, the front page of the New York Times or the NBC Nightly News, and, and they end up having a lot of influence uh, yeah. over, my lo- over our lives, and you kind of have to really pay attention to that. Yeah. So we've, we've mentioned religious liberty a couple of times now. One of the other issues that is at the forefront of, of many Catholics politically is, as we're sort of looking, looking at these appointments is, is life, yep. um, abortion. We could include capital punishment too, as there's mm-hmm. uh, federal executions ongoing. But one of kind of on the life front, um, you know, w- one of the President-elect Biden's big picks uh, for HHS Secretary, Health and Human Services, is Xavier Becerra, who has served as Attorney General of the State of California, and there's there's a big coalition of of pro life uh, groups nationally that has um, kind of articulated some really strong objections to this appointment. Um, we'll end up seeing what happens in the new, in the new Congress. Obviously, uh, presidential cabinet picks need to be uh, confirmed by the Senate. Um, but any professor, anything to to add or offer in terms of what we might be able to expect? Um, for a Biden administration on both religious liberty and and life fronts. Well, what what you're seeing, uh, you know, Xavier Becerra, why people are so opposed to him is that as Attorney General of the state of California, you know, he uh, succeeded um, Kamala Harris in in that role when she uh, ascended to the U.S. Senate. Then he became uh, Attorney General of the state of California. He sort of betrayed himself or you know, outed himself, if you will, as no friend of religious liberty, taking kind of that interpretation of religious liberty that you articulated by the Obama administration, all religious liberty only occurs in churches. And so hospitals, schools that might dissent from, usually it's things having to do with, uh, broadly speaking, the sexual revolution, um, uh, whether it's things involving marriage, transgenderism, that sort of thing, or, or doctors who want to refuse to do certain procedures or prescribe certain medicines. Uh, uh, he was no friend to that. And I think we're probably going to see that. Uh, so expect to see little sisters of the poor in front of the Supreme Court again. Uh, that's going to happen again. Uh, I think we'll see litigation on a lot of those fronts. And as well, as I was alluding to earlier, you know, uh, at candidate Biden uh, said a, a change of a longstanding belief of his during the campaign that he no longer believed in the Hyde Amendment, which is a federal law that actually uh, banned the federal 
government from funding abortions. We might see that go by the wayside. Uh, you know, every time there's a switch from Democrat to Republican, you know, there's the so-called Mexico City policy. Uh, when, whenever a, a Republican comes in, they sign a ban on the on federal funds going outside the United States. I expect probably within the first 24 hours, Joe Biden will repeal that executive order and we'll have uh, United States funding through foreign aid for abortion services, uh, worldwide promotion abortion uh, worldwide. And those are the kinds of things I think we can we can see and, and how much of those, uh, you know, it is kind of sad. You know, it, it's a question of how much of those Congress uh, even have any any influence over because they're done administratively, you know, through executive actions instead of through legislation. A lot of this stuff is. But even then, of course, uh, uh, thanks to uh, uh, elections in Georgia, Republicans also don't control uh, either house of uh, of Congress. Um, not so much that I'm concerned whether Republicans control, but that's kind of a proxy for how many pro-lifers there are uh in, in in congress and so it's we're going to hinge in some of these things on maybe a, a couple three senators who are sort yeah. of moderate especially moderate yeah. moderate democrats and we'll we'll see uh what those people end up doing uh, as far as legislation goes so professor we've got about two minutes left yeah. um you know kind of just thinking about okay where do we go from here what what sorts of things should we just be looking for as we sort of try and chart a path forward? What's the way forward for the next two years, maybe more? I think one thing is is you know, I, I think defenders of religious liberty and and human life I've had a setback I think in this election, and so it's about realizing that you know there there are no final victories and no final defeats in in, in politics that it's it's always a battle. We as I use the word competencies before we all have to develop the competencies of active citizenship. Mm. And so that means uh, that means getting out and voting and finding candidates and supporting candidates who are going to support the things we want. There's always the next election. And that goes back to what we're talking about civility is we've got to cultivate uh, this virtue a little bit more and maybe look inside ourselves. Uh, are we being used by people who want to cultivate in us anger and bitterness uh, and hate for their own self-interest? Uh, in their own, in a lot of cases, a lot of their fundraising self-interest. It's a sad fact that people can raise a lot of money uh, based on anger, and and we have to make sure that we are not we are not part of that, whether we're not culpable uh, in in that. And then, to the extent that we see people maybe who have who have uh, aided and abetted that cultivation of anger, maybe maybe it's time to find alternatives. To those maybe within their respective parties. Uh, that's, that's my two cents, which people may disagree with, but that's, that's my two cents. Yeah. And I think one thing to remember too, for a lot of people is that for us, especially as Catholics, that people are never the enemy. You know, there is an enemy, um, who has defied God since the very beginning, but other human beings are loved by God and God wants, God wants all people to be in union with him. So when we, when we talk about these political dynamics, you know, we're, we're opposed to ideas. We're opposed to bad policies, but insofar as we have a, um, you know, president, President-elect Biden, he's going to be our president here in 10 days, and we should uh, we should affirm whatever good he wants to do. And when he wants to do things that, that aren't good, we can and should resist those things too. You know, that's what it means to use our voice as, as faithful citizens. So, Professor Schaff, as always, a pleasure to have you on the program, and I look forward to our next conversation about religious liberty and the details. Thanks for joining I us. I can't wait. Very excited. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, as always, dear listeners, for tuning in. Until next time, live well. Live well.